0: We are in the middle of a building campaign. Uh, we are starting a building campaign here. Uh, if, you are, uh, if you've been around the crossings for a while, you know we've been running out of room for where our kids have been coming in. And so we have uh, partnered with the Solomon Foundation, which is a foundation that funds uh, churches that are building, and they have some requirements that have to be met in order to be considered. Uh, we met those requirements, and they approved a loan for us uh, and so we are going to get to move forward with this building project, but we want to make sure that we have our heads in the right place and our heart in the right place. Uh, we don't normally have lessons about giving here at the crossings. It's, it's a topic that we talk about uh, with our members sometimes. We don't normally preach about it. Um, <coughs> part of that is because there's a stigma associated with giving that uh, for people that maybe are checking out a church or something. Uh, Sometimes Christians and, and churches can come across like they're all about the money. Uh, and we don't want to do that. But at the same time, the Bible says a lot about giving. And the Bible connects giving to the state of our hearts. And so we're going to look at some Bible today. And we're going to look uh, today in the next couple of weeks at some stories in the Bible where there were building projects that were being undertaken. And we want to do that because there are some special things in the story of God that he's done through material buildings. Uh, And we're going to look at one of those stories today about the building of the tabernacle. And we're just going to extract some principles that we can apply to our situation because God had big dreams for these people that we read about in the Bible, but he also has big dreams for us. And so we want to make sure that we got our hearts and our minds right uh, as it pertains to this stuff. Um, Now, before we jump in and look at some scripture, uh, that word tabernacle uh, is kind of a weird word. We don't normally use that just in everyday conversation. But the tabernacle literally means place of meeting or tent of meeting. The tabernacle was something that God commanded to be built in the story of Moses. After Moses led the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery, God later comes and tells them, build this facility, build this tabernacle. That's going to be where I uh, dwell among you as your God with you as my people. And my presence is going to be there. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless people through you. And, and this is how we're going to do this thing. Um, and so... Let's just jump into it. Mike, if you don't mind, uh, go ahead and read Exodus 25, 1 through 9, and then we're just going to talk about it some, okay? The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair. Remskins dyed red in another type of durable leather, acacia wood. Olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense. And onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Then have, have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. All right, so God is the one that commands this, okay? I want to put that out on the front end. God is the one that tells them to build this building. Build this place. I want you to build it not just out of common materials either. He tells them, I want you to use treasure to build this building. This was going to involve sacrifice for the people. But what's crazy is the people are willing to give their treasures to this. Because God had been doing some amazing things among them at this point. Uh, And God had a dream for them. Uh, Not on your notes, okay, you got some notes in your bulletin. If you want to pull those out, it's going to have most of the passages we're going to look at. Uh, This passage is not on your notes. It's Exodus 34, 10, 11. I'll put it up on the screen for you. Uh, Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you before all your people. Look at this dream that God has for these people. He says, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey what I command you today. So he tells them, I want you to go and build this tabernacle. I'm going to live among you, and then I'm going to do some amazing stuff in you and through you. This is is my dream for you. I'm going to make you unlike any other nation that's ever existed. And I'm going to do some stuff that's never been done through any nation before. You guys get to be the recipients of this blessing that I have in store for you. Now, I mentioned before, up to this point in the story, the Israelites had seen some stuff, right? If you read the story of the Bible, uh, when you get to the story of Moses... Man, they had been enslaved in Egypt for several hundred years. The Egyptians were treating them horribly. And so God sends Moses as a deliverer to lead the Israelite people out of Egypt. He comes in and and man, they've witnessed the plagues. They witnessed the Passover. They witnessed the parting of the Red Sea. They witnessed God feeding them in the desert manna and quail. They witnessed the water from the rock. They had seen all kinds of crazy stuff. They had seen the visible presence of God. Come down on top of Mount Sinai. They watched as Moses walked up into this cloud of fire and smoke to talk to a holy God. And he came back down with these laws to give them. They had all these experiences with God. They had seen his work. They had experienced his blessing. He had delivered them from battle uh, with the Amalekites. Just took them out. As long as Moses held his arms up, they were winning that battle. It was God who was fighting for them, right? They saw this. And so when God comes, after they had had these experiences with him, after they had seen him work in their lives and in their community, God comes and says, I want you to go build this structure, and I'm going to live among you, and I'm going to do things you've never even heard of before. I'm going to start doing through your people. I want you to honor me in this way. Man, they are now bought into this dream. Why? Because their faith had been built up from what they had seen, right? Right? Isn't it amazing? God builds credibility with us over time when we let him work, right? Some of you guys are just starting your journey of faith. Maybe God doesn't have that credibility with you yet. Just give him some time. You're going to see him do some work, right? And so these people are bought into this dream because of their faith, because of their loyalty they felt toward God because of the gratefulness they felt toward God, because of all the blessings he had given them. And so look at this. The people responded to God's command so well that Moses eventually had to tell them this. In Exodus 36.6, this is on your notes. The first scripture on your notes. So they asked to give, right? And then Moses issues a new directive. Moses issued a new directive and it spread quickly. We do not need any more contributions to complete the congregational tent. We have more than enough with that, the people stopped bringing the contributions. They had to tell them to stop. You, you, you brought enough. We don't need any more. Quit it. And they were bringing like gold and silver and jewels and all this treasure. Moses is like, stop. We got enough. Stop. Just, just That's enough. And so uh, we have to do a lesson on giving here every once in a while at, at the crossings whenever we have big stuff coming up. You guys always respond real well, by the way. Uh, you know, the, the first time we did this was before we got into this facility, we had to raise money to do what you've seen so far, okay? Now we're at a point where we have to raise money to do the rest, and that's, that's our next step. Uh, so we do these lessons every once in a while. Some of you don't like it, and that's okay. Uh, some of you don't like it because you want to bring a friend, and you don't want to bring your friend on, on give day, right? So That's like, well, this is a bait and switch, right? Uh, You want to know how to get us to never have to do these again? Just do what these people do. And what these people do is they give so generously that there was no need to ask for more. Amen? There was no need because it was taken care of. So we're going to ask today, what led to this point? What happened that led up to Moses asking these people to please stop giving? Okay, I'm going to give you some some principles here. I can stop my church... From asking me to give, if number one, I give willingly to God. I give willingly to God. And, and just remember, guys, up to this point, the Israelites had been through a mess. They had been through a mess. They had witnessed and they had experienced God's presence, they had experienced God's deliverance on more than one occasion. They'd witnessed the miraculous. They, they had seen God's faithfulness. They'd come to love and appreciate God, and they showed this love and appreciation for God in their willingness to give back to God when he asked them to go and build this tabernacle. They're like, yes, and they're just overflowing. They're gushing with gratitude. And, and he only asked those who are willing to give to give. He says uh, in in Exodus 35, 4 and 5, Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Look at this. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering. Underline that, everyone who's willing. He's not asking for people who don't want to give, to give. He's saying if you're willing to give. He goes on in uh, 35, 20, then the whole Israelite, community withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of the meeting, for all its service, and for the sacred garments. Here it's, again. I found this on the web. Okay, thank you. Uh, everyone who is willing. Uh, again, in 22, all who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold and jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Okay. They were willing. They were willing. And I want to point out here, guys, they were willing to give to God. Who was asking them for this gift? It was Moses. Moses was the one getting up and presenting this request on behalf of God. Uh, But the people weren't giving to Moses. The people weren't giving to their church leaders. The people were willingly giving to God. And that's very, very important. Now, there's a lot of instances in in the scripture where there were bad leaders even. Nadab and Abihu, Eli's sons, like bad priests in the Old Testament. The people were commanded to give, but they were never told to stop because they had a bad leader even. Like when they had ungodly leadership, they were still expected by God to give. Why? Because they were giving to God. God's doing something in your heart when you give to him. It's, it's honestly, he's blessing you. You're learning to put him first. And that's not going to be a bad thing for you. That's going to be a blessing to you. That's going to be just a blessing to you. He's giving to you. We are willingly called to give to him. And so if you're not willing to give, you know, it's not. some of us are in, in different financial situations. Some of us are in a, in a spot where we don't even know how we're going to pay a light bill sometimes, honestly. And then others of us are in a situation where you've got plenty extra, right? You're going to be willing to give or not based on the condition of your heart, not based on the condition of your bank account. It's not about how much you have. It's just, are you willing to give what you can, right? Uh, I will willingly give to God. This is the next link on your notes. When I genuinely love God. Your willingness to give is a measure of your love. And this is throughout the Bible, guys. This is from front to back. This is part of why we know God loves us so much, because he gives so much to us. To love is to give. They're they're synonymous. Love is generous. Love gives. And the Israelites had come to love and depend on God Because they had seen so much and they had been given to so much by Him. They had been delivered so many times. They had had so much blessing poured out on them. Uh, And this willingness to give back is just the byproduct of experiencing God's blessings and experiencing God's presence and, and all the good that comes with that. They were happy to give back because they trusted Him. And the truth is, God does not need our money, He just doesn't. Like, He created everything. Wealth is nothing to him. It's all his. He doesn't need anything from us, but he asks us to give. Why? Because we are blessed by disciplining our hearts to put him first. It is a blessing to my life when I get up in the morning and remember that I am not God, but he is. And my job is to serve him. I'm going to have a better life all the way around when that's my mindset. All the way around, there was a church in Corinth that had pledged to give in the New Testament now uh, to something that the apostles were working on. They were were taking up a collection for the poor and they were helping some people. And there was this wealthy church in Corinth uh, that said, hey, we're going to give and we're going to give really generously." And so they pledged a bunch of money, uh, but then they took their pledge back later. uh, They said, "Eh, we changed our mind. And it's interesting to me that the Apostle Paul calls on them and he kind of he chastises them a little bit because these people were just kind of being spiritually lazy, to be honest. They weren't, it wasn't a healthy church. And so Paul has uh, taken some corrective measures with them. But it's interesting when he gets to giving, um, he, he sets, it, sets it up like this in 2 Corinthians 8, 8. He says, I'm not ordering you to give, but I want to see how real your love is. And I just want to point that out, that the Apostle Paul in the New Testament connects material giving to love. And that's the way it's always presented in the scripture. And so like when I'm thinking about giving to this church personally, I'm thinking, man, what is this, what's going to occur because we're giving and and we're building and we're doing all these good things? What's going to happen? What's God going to do with this? And it's my love for God and my love for God's ministry and my love for God's purpose that prompts me to give. Because I know he's going to take this little gift. Kind of like the, the, the boy in the, in the New Testament with the fish and two loaves, right? Uh, what did Jesus do with that? He took that little paltry gift and he just multiplied it. What did he do whenever he encountered a blind man? He spit in the mud and, and made mud, made, spit in the dirt and made mud out of it and rubbed it in that guy's eyes. It's a cure for blindness. The guy was healed. Like Jesus can take your little stuff. Some of y'all are making faces. You wouldn't, you wouldn't like it if Jesus rubbed spit, spit dirt in your face. Um, yeah, but he can take something that we say is gross and he can make it a cure for blindness. He can take our little bit and make it a whole lot. So I know, man, when I give, I'm giving because I love God and I'm giving because I love what God does. And what God does is He takes my little paltry gift and he makes it something big, that I could never do, right? That's just how He works. And I think that's part of the faith that was driving these people and, and why they gave so generously. Secondly, I can get my church to stop giving uh, to stop asking me to give, if number two, I give generously to God. So I give willingly to God, then I give generously. To God Now, a tithe is giving 10% of your income to the church. Uh, in the Old Testament, the tithe was commanded as uh, an offering to the temple. When the ministry of the temple was instituted, the people were commanded to give 10% of, of their stuff to basically fund the ministry of the temple. Now, the tithe is never commanded in the New Testament. It's, it's never commanded. However, it is approved of by Jesus... And the command in the New Testament is instead of to tithe, the command is to be generous, okay? Now, to be honest with you, a tithe is a huge sacrifice for some of us in this room. Giving 10%, honestly, if if all of us gave 10%, we wouldn't have any financial needs here. Some of us do and some of us don't. A tithe, though, is is a sacrifice for some of us. But for some of you, a tithe is not a sacrifice because you got a lot, (laughs) okay? Okay. And I'm in one of those situations where a tithe, for me, like I own some businesses and do some stuff in the community. I can do more than a tithe. Personally, I don't take a salary from the church here. Um, I can do more than a tithe. And, And some of you guys can too. But the command is to be generous. I think a tithe is a good starting point for most of us, to be honest. I think it's a good starting point. Uh, but if we can do more than that, I think we should. If we're in a situation where we can do more, I think we should. Why? Because the command is to give generously. What does it mean to give generously? Well, uh, for me, when I think about giving generously, when, I, when I'm giving, it stings a little. If it doesn't sting a little, I don't feel like I'm being generous. But if it stings a little, I'm like, hey, okay, yeah, go ahead, Lord. And I don't want to like be begrudging, but I try to give personally, just so you know, I give personally, I try to give generously to this church because I believe in what we're doing here. I believe in it. And, and when I do, it does, it stings a little, but I know it's going to the right place. And God commanded these Israelites to give treasure to build the tabernacle. In, in Exodus 35, bring to the Lord an offering, oh, look at this now, gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair. Anybody got some goat hair lying around? Uh, Ram skins dyed red and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for fragrant incense, onyx stones, and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. These offerings were treasures. This wasn't junk. This wasn't leftovers. Man, I, I have sat and listened to people talk. I was sitting at breakfast with some, man, some sweet ladies... Not here. Okay, this was at another church that I was at. Uh, one of them was the, one of the wealthiest ladies in the United States. And she went to my church. And uh, we were sitting around talking. Uh, and, and one of the ladies started talking about this rug that she had at her house. It was an area rug. And it was just the most horrible area rug she'd ever seen in her life. And she couldn't believe why it was even still in her house. And they just needed to roll it up and throw it away. And then she looked at me and said, hey, you know what? We should give that to the church. Would you like this in your office? And I didn't say anything to her, but I was thinking to myself, we don't need your garbage. Seriously. That's the attitude a lot of people have. And guys, that's not the only conversation like that I've had over the years with people. But hey, here's something we're going to throw away. We're just going to throw it in the dumpster. Can your church use this? No, probably not. Okay? A lot of the time. But that's our attitude towards giving. It's, it's like if you've got a chicken leg, right? you got your chicken leg. I'm going to take a bite off this chicken leg. I'm going to take a bite off this chicken leg. Oh, this chicken's so good. Oh, it's so good. Oh, you know what? I know I need to give to the Lord, but I'm just going to keep biting off this chicken. Until you get down to the bone, and there's a little sliver of meat left, you know, like maybe the dog would pick that one off if you threw it on the floor. And then you say, this is what I'm going to give to God. I'm going to give God my leftovers. I'm just going to toss my leftovers over there. Whatever I got left over, that's what God gets. Man, in the the Bible, when the people are called to give, it wasn't at the end of the month to see what was left over. It was, hey, let's give generously off the front end. Let's give generously. I'll, I'll be honest. I don't always do that. Sometimes I'm waiting to the end of the month, but that's not the example that we see here. It's not the example that we see. God asked the people to give things of value, not their leftovers, and God asked, asked them to give it first. Why? Because they're putting him first. And stinginess toward God is not a wealth problem. It's a gratefulness problem. The reason the people were giving so generously is because of their gratefulness. Next blank is I will give generously to God when I appreciate that God has generously given to me. When I appreciate that God has generously given to me. Now, I've mentioned more than once the people in this story. They had seen some stuff up to this point. They had reason to trust God because they had experienced some crazy stuff. And they believed in the faithfulness of God and God's promises. I'm going to take you back to Genesis now just to illustrate Here's a promise that God gave 400 years before these people came along to Abraham. Says the Lord said to Abram, you should know this, your descendants will live in a country that is not their own. They will be strangers there. The people there will make them slaves and be cruel to them for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that makes them slaves. Your people will leave that land. Notice this, your people will leave that land and they will take many good things with them. This was God's promise to the Israelites way before any of this stuff happened. He predicted the Egyptian slavery. He predicted the deliverance. He predicted that they were going to leave Egypt with stuff. And God was there taking care of them through this whole process. In in Exodus 12... uh, After the plagues and everything, where the Pharaoh was convinced to let the people go, uh, it says the Israelites had already done what Moses had told them. They had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold and clothing. Look at this. Now, God saw to it that the Egyptians liked the people and so readily gave them what they asked for. Oh, yes, they have picked those Egyptians clean. Isn't that interesting? God is the one that made that happen. He told them way ahead of time. You're gonna be enslaved, but I'm gonna deliver you, and you're gonna come out of that land with a bunch of stuff. You're gonna be rich. And then when you read the story of the Bible, that is exactly what happens. And it's interesting that God is working among those Egyptians to make them, like, even wanna give that stuff to the Israelites. He's working in their hearts, He's working among them. Isn't that crazy? God's taking care of them. And so now these people are taken care of over generations, and then they see all this awesome, miraculous stuff that God does. God is going to live with them. He's got this promise for their future. Guys, people give to dreams, okay? These people had a dream about what God was going to do through them and their people. God's saying, I'm going to build this tabernacle. I'm going to live among you, and I'm going to work through you. You're going to be unlike any other nation that's ever existed. I'm going to do some awesome stuff through you. And they had already seen that God does what he says he's going to do. So there's a sense of excitement as they're giving. It's not a begrudging, oh, i got to give my treasure up. It was, man, I can't wait to see what God does with this. Yeah, this is valuable to me. Guys, remember those five loaves, two fishes. He spits in the dirt, makes it a cure for blind. What's he going to do? He can do that with your garbage. If he can do that with your garbage, what can he do with your treasure? He can do some amazing things when we let him. They had seen the blessings of God. Guys, we have seen the blessings of God. They gave generously in response to the blessings of God. What blessings do we have from God to be thankful for and grateful for? In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, you know the grace that has come to us through our Lord Jesus. He set aside his infinite riches and was born into the lowest circumstance. Look at this. That you may gain great riches. Through his humble poverty. I love the way that it puts this in the the Passion Translation. He set aside his infinite riches. So that he could make himself a human being. And come into the world. Show us how to live. Show us how to relate. Show us how to love. Show us how to honor God the Father with his life. Showed us how to walk by the Spirit. He showed us how to live a perfect life. He showed us how to have the best life possible. And he did it through great hardship. He set aside his infinite riches. Because even the wealthiest person in the world, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, any of these guys, their riches are not infinite. They will run out if given enough time. Jesus infinite riches, never runs out, never has. He sets that aside, comes into the world, dies on the cross like a servant, is obedient even to death, all to show you this is how committed I am to you. And by, guys, the gospel is not Jesus died on the cross for your sins. That's part of the message, but the gospel is Jesus is the king of the universe. And he is going to make everything right in this world, and our job is to honor him with our lives. That is the gospel. Your response, if you respond positively, you get your sins forgiven. You get to live in communion with God, a holy God. You get to have fellowship with the other people who are pursuing God. You get to find your purpose in life. You get to become the man you were always created to be or the woman you were always created to be. You get to find out what God has in store for you in terms of being the hands and feet of Jesus and making the world a better place. You get to live a great adventure. When you lean into your relationship with Jesus Christ, you get to live life the way it was meant for you to live it. God has set aside the times and places for you to live in specifically because he wants you to reach out to him because God has a dream for you. God has a purpose for you. God has a ministry for you. The way to have the best life is to lean into that and to honor God with your life. He is going to give you so much. And the only reason you have a chance is because the God of the universe, the king of all the cosmos, made himself a human being and came down here to show us how it's done. He set aside his infinite riches so that he could come and give to you. And he wants to teach you to have a character that's like him, where you're not just all about yourself. Where your world doesn't just revolve around you. You are not the source of life. He is. You are not the source of light. He is. You are not the source of blessing. He is. You do not have a monopoly on good. He does. And he wants you to draw near to him precisely because he wants to bless you and he wants to turn around and use you to bless others. That is the heart of God. He wants to teach you to be like him in character and to be like him in how you relate to others. He is a God of giving. He is a God of love. He is a God of generosity. And guys, he puts that on display for us on the cross. We want to take communion this morning. We take communion every single week. Uh, whether we do it here in the assembly or in our small groups. And the reason we do that is precisely because this helps us keep our hearts right. When we remember that we serve a God who gives like this, we have no excuse when we're talking about being generous and giving. If, like being a Christian just means you're trying to be like Jesus. That is very simply what it means. You love God. You love one another. You try to be like Jesus. Jesus was supremely generous. He modeled it through his life. Guys, he died on the cross for our sins, and he had all of the power to not have to. He could have nuked the whole world and just gone back to heaven, and just been done with it. He had the power to do it. But he stayed on that cross, and he let them mistreat him. Man, he prayed for their forgiveness. While he was up there, and what's crazy is a bunch of those people that killed him became Christians later. He forgave them. Thousands of them became Christians later, and Jerusalem became like the hotbed for this movement of Jesus. He's generous. Remember that this morning, guys. His body was broken for you. His blood was spilled for you. He's generous. He's a giver, and he loves you. Remember that, reflect on that as we take communion this morning. God, thank you for bringing us together today. I pray as we take uh, communion, Lord, we will be reflective on your generosity. We will be reflective on your willingness to give and your willingness to sacrifice so greatly. You sacrificed your life for us. You don't call us to do anything that you didn't model for us. God, help us to honor you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen so jesus gives to us and he gives to us very 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 generously um if the command isn't necessarily a tithe in the new testament but just to give generously some of us want to want to ask well what does it mean to give generously uh well i already kind of alluded to it earlier but you know as far as i'm concerned is it stings a little if i'm giving generously i say that because uh that's kind of the 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 sentiment that I pick up from other people in the Bible who had this question kind of posed to them, David comes to mind. There's a couple of different instances in David's life where something happens where he makes a sacrifice to God, and at each time it stings a little. Like there's this one time where he's super, super duper thirsty, King David. And he's just sort of reminiscing about down the hill from him, this town he grew up in that the enemy had taken over. He's reminiscing about this well that was down there and how great the water was in this well and he's talking about it around some of his mighty men which if you go read the stories about the mighty men in the bible they're actually real stories about guys who did like superhero type stuff in battle like crazy crazy stuff well these these dudes hear David talking about how great this water is like three of them go into an enemy camp three of these dudes and fight their way in and get, uh, get water out of this well and fight their way out. And they're running, huffing, and puffing, bringing this water back to David. And they give it to David. And you want to know what he did with it? First of all, he was surprised because he didn't expect them to do that. He was just reminiscing earlier about how good the water was. And these guys actually go kill people to come back and risk their lives and bring him water. And they give it to him and he takes it and he pours it out. But he says, I I can't even drink this. I'm pouring this out to the Lord. And he pours it out and says, God, this is my gift to you. He sacrificed, right? It cost him something. He was thirsty. He poured one out for the homies. (laughs) Only as just homie with a capital H, it was the Lord, right? Uh, There's another time where uh, in 2 Samuel 24, 4, he, he's going and he's going to make a sacrifice on an altar, right? And so he goes and, and uh, he's going to buy some goats and rams and stuff to make the sacrifice and worship God. Well, this guy comes out who's a big fan of King David, one of his people. He says, David, don't pay me for this. I, I just want to give this to you. I love you, man. You're the king. Just let me give this to you, right? And, and David says, no. Look at what he says in 2 Samuel 24:4. I will not make an offering to the eternal one, my true God, that has cost me nothing. Why? Because he wanted it to sting. He wanted it to sting. Because David understood he was being generous to the Lord and this was part of how he worshipped God. He wasn't given to the priest. He wasn't given to the temple. He was giving to God and he was making it sting a little because that was part of how he wanted to honor God. That was part of how he kept God first in his life. was through giving. He understood sacrifice. Lastly, I can get my church to stop asking me to give. If number three, I give consistently to God. I give consistently to God. So I give willingly. I give generously. And then lastly, I give consistently to God. Um, In Exodus 25, 8, have the people of Israel build my holy sanctuary. Build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. Um, God's plan, again, was to live among the people on an ongoing basis. And so they're giving really generously here in order for him to dwell among them and and for all these blessings and this dream. But then they were going to give on an ongoing basis as God lived among them on an ongoing basis and was working among them on an ongoing basis. And then when the tithe is inactive, this was a regular gift that the people were called to bring to God. A regular gift, where it wasn't just a one-time thing. This was something that they did on a regular basis. And I will consistently give to God when I grasp that God wants to consistently give to me. See, God's blessing for the Israelites wasn't just for one time. It wasn't just for a single generation. It wasn't just for one period of time that a family was going to be active. This was for generations, and it was going to be an increasing thing that over time the gift was just going to get greater and it was going to be multiplied over time. As more and more people learned to honor God with their life and put him first and relate to the world the way God said, to, man, he was just going to multiply. It was ultimately going to culminate in Jesus coming into the world. And then Jesus turns around and multiplies his ministry through the church and still growing today. There are more people being blessed today because of this than at any other time in history. Because that's how God works. He just multiplies blessing over time. And the people honored God with their giving. Then they moved forward as as God was with them in Exodus um, 40. I don't know if this is on your notes correctly or not. The scripture reference is Exodus 40, 33 and 38. I think there might be a typo. But it says, uh, Then he erected the enclosure surrounding the tent and the altar and set up the curtain door at the entrance of the enclosure. So at last... um, Moses finished the work, then the cloud covered the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord filled it. Moses was not able to enter because the cloud was standing there and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud lifted and moved, the people of Israel journeyed forward and followed it. But if the cloud stayed, they stayed until it moved. The cloud rested upon the tabernacle during the daytime and at night there was fire in the cloud so all the people of Israel could see it. So they erect this tabernacle And then the presence of God comes and dwells in this tabernacle. And God continues to lead them through this tabernacle that he commanded to be built. And they took all the treasures that God had commanded to be built in there, like the Ark of the Covenant, the the table and all the other stuff that was supposed to go in there, the lampstand. And there were these ceremonies and things that they had to do that was all designed to remind them that God was there. He was present. He was with them. He was blessing them. He, He was their God. It was all designed, and it was on an ongoing basis. And they, and again, they're giving consistently over time to God, and this was part of their worship. And the presence of God was among them as they related well to him and, and honored him. He was there with them. He wasn't going anywhere. And God's presence is always a blessing so long as you're related in the right way to him. God's presence can be the opposite of a blessing if you're his enemy, right? So they were careful to relate properly to God. His presence had an effect on the people that was positive. And and as they generously gave God God their gifts, um, in Deuteronomy 14, 23, it says the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. As they gave their gifts... This was the result. They learned to put God first in their lives. I don't know if you've ever noticed that before. Guys, that's why we ask you to give. It's not because God needs your money. He doesn't. God asks you to give because he wants you to learn to put him first in your life. That's it. And as you learn to give generously, you know where it stings a little bit? Why, why am I doing this? Because I'm putting God first in my life. I'm putting him first in my life. As you get into the habit, you want to know what happens over time? It quits stinging. Because you just get in the habit of it. But it affects other areas of your life too. Because there's other parts of your life that if you're honest, if you give that up, it's going to sting a little. If you change that and tweak that, it's going to sting a little. If you deal with that, it's going to sting a little. But as you learn to put God first in your pocketbook, you'll learn to put him first in other areas of your life as well. And what you will find over time is as you honor God with your life, your life gets better. That doesn't mean you're not going to face hardship. What it does mean is you're going to be able to deal with it. That's what it means. You're going to be okay as you learn to put God first in all things. I don't care what you're facing. You can be facing death. If you've put God first in your life, you might be afraid, but you're going to be okay. And your family around you, if they know you've been putting God first in your life, you want to know what? They're going to have confidence that you're going to be okay. And that's going to comfort everybody. What a blessing it is when somebody dies in Christ. But sometimes you go to funerals and you just wonder, I don't know. He didn't really put God first in his life. I don't know. And there's these question marks. Sometimes they're not question marks. Sometimes they're, I know where he went and it wasn't good. Don't do that. Your putting God first in all areas of your life includes your pocketbook, church. Includes it. (coughs) Um, But we ultimately benefit from this. We ultimately are the ones that benefit from it. We learn to put God first, and that's going to bless us all the way around, and it's going to bless others because God's going to bless through us. And I just want, to re- want you to remember the words of Jesus regarding wealth. Jesus says, Don't keep hoarding for yourselves earthly treasures that can be stolen by thieves. Material wealth eventually rusts, decays, and loses its value. Instead, stockpile heavenly treasures for yourselves that can't be stolen and will never rust, decay, or lose their value. For your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure." How could you worship two gods at the same time? You'll have to hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't worship the true God while enslaved to the God of money. You can't serve two masters is what Jesus says. Don't don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, right? Here's the thing. When you say I'm gonna give generously, consistently to God, What you're saying is, God is my treasure. What you're saying is, my relationship with God is my treasure. I'm going to honor him with all that I have. He is my treasure. As soon as your perspective shifts where instead of him being my treasure, it is something else, that's when you get into trouble. That's when you get into trouble. You can make other things God functionally in your life. I'm an addict. I know all about this. Whatever is your God is what is central to your life. It's what you revolve your life around. If you revolve your life around getting high, guess what? That's your God. If you revolve your life around getting drunk, if you revolve your life around uh, your kids, and, and you just edge God out, you guys, it, it doesn't even necessarily have to be a bad thing. You could, you could put family in a spot that it does not belong. And just revolve your life around family and, and miss the mark in life. Because you made something else a God thing that was never intended to be a God thing. Even a good thing. If you make a good thing a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. And so we got to be careful. What giving generously does is it helps me remember that my treasure is in heaven. My treasure is God. I put God first. And my whole life is going to be blessed as a result of that. In uh, Matthew 6, Jesus is talking to some poor people. Some of you in here, uh, again, some of us make more money than others. Sometimes when we don't make as much and, and we talk about giving, even giving generously, there can be a sense of guilt and there can be even a sense of fear among us, because we don't know how we're going to pay that bill, or we don't know how we're going to do this. Look, Jesus speaks to a bunch of poor people, and these are people that are living at a time in history where they didn't have grocery stores, you know, they didn't have uh, refrigerators. They had what they could grow out of the ground, and then they had uh, an oppressive Roman government taking a pretty good chunk of it from them in taxes, okay? Okay. There were people with legitimate needs. They legitimately did not have a lot of extra as as Jewish people in the first century around Palestine, right? They didn't have a lot extra. Jesus talks to these poor people and he says, you guys are asking, how are we going to eat? How are we going to get clothes? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? Man, look around. Look at the birds of the air and how God takes care of them. Look at the flowers of the field and how God clothes them. Do you not think you're worth more than them? Okay, that's, and then he says, put, put God first. He says um, in Matthew 6, outsiders make themselves frantic over such questions. Questions like, what are we going to eat or what are we going to wear? They don't realize that your heavenly father knows exactly what you need. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be given to you too. Guys, that command is seek first. What does it mean to seek first? The kingdom of God. What does it mean to seek first his righteousness? This is a question of priority. Here is what giving does for you. It helps you get your priorities straight. It helps you get your priorities straight. You learn to seek God first. And that includes your pocketbook. And the rest of your life. Now these people... Uh, Guys, they gave to dreams in in the Bible. I think one of the reasons that that they gave so generously in that story we read this morning to the point where Moses is just like, hey, stop, that's enough. The reason is because they had big dreams. The God of the universe was coming to these people and he's saying, I'm going to make you people a special people. I'm going to do things through you that you've never heard of. You just need to be generous. You just need to open the door and let me work. You just need to put me first and worship me as the God that I am and and let me work. And the reason they gave so generously is because they knew that that dream that God had for them was going to come true. So long as they related right to him now. Guys, we have a church here. We planted this church uh, in 2017. We've been here about five years. Uh, when we first came over here, we came over here through a lot of prayer and through a lot of just asking God's leading. That's why we landed on Collinsville was to plant here. If you don't know, we are one church out of four that we've planted in the last uh, 20 years or so. Um, there's one in Wentzville, uh, There's one in. Columbia, there's another church in the city, and then there's us. We're going to be planting additional churches in the future. We plant churches through the crossings based around campus ministry. We look for a college uh, that's got young people around it, and we come in and, and we start a church, and then we go start reaching out to students. We start reaching out to teens. We start reaching out to families, and that's kind of what we do. And we have some amazing stories that have come out of our ministries over the last few years. Guys, you've been here. You know, there been a lot of, there's a lot of new Christians right here. Okay, right here in this room, there's a lot of first-generation Christians. Uh, if you go to any one of our churches, guys, there's a mixture of races. They're white and black. Even in St. Charles County, like one of the whitest places on earth, our church is diverse. Okay, that's not normal. Uh, it's not normal for a bunch of first-generation Christians that are younger to be part of a church. Look around. What's the median age of this congregation? You guys are like in your 20s for the most part. That's weird. You guys don't know that's weird. That's weird. You go to any other church around here, it's not going to look like that. It's going it's to be one color and it's going to be older, right, for the most part. Um, we have got some special stuff going on here. Guys, there are some amazing stories coming out of here, of people coming to know Jesus that come from extremely broken backgrounds. There are stories of marriages being restored. Guys, there are people that have been horribly abused that are getting help for the first time in their lives. There are people that have been horribly addictive, addicted that are, that are getting help for the first time in their lives. There have been people that are lonely, guys, that are finding community for the first time. People that have been without families that are finding family We've just seen amazing stuff over the last few years. And guys, I believe we're just getting started. You are part of a community that God is already using to do some amazing things. And we've got big dreams and big plans for the future. We want to build here. But guys, we've got plans beyond here. Uh, All four of our churches are building right now, which is good. All four of them are growing right now, which is good. But guys, again, we just we believe God is just getting started with us. And so I dream about this church. You know, I think about our, our assembly here and I just imagine rows of people lined up that are getting help. Like I think about the rehab that we're starting. We're, we're starting a rehab for, me, uh, for women. Uh, I think about rows of ladies sitting back here where I know they're getting help. And, and, and there's people like, you know, stupidity can be contagious, Um, but wisdom can be too, okay? And in a community like ours where people are pursuing God, part of the reason a community of God is such a blessing is because God ups your wisdom game. As you get closer to him and you learn how he thinks about the world and what is really going on out there, God defines all that for us. Man, I can just imagine those rows of ladies surrounded by people that there's a collective wisdom that's present on how to help addicts and how to help people that are overcoming addiction. I think about, uh, uh, I think about our youth ministry and all the kids at, at the high schools and middle schools around here that are coming from pretty rough situations. A lot of them broken families, lonely, a lot of situations of abuse or neglect, but even kids that are just growing up maybe in, in more stable homes that just don't know God. And we've got kids here that are intentionally going in and, and loving on these kids and reaching out to them and leading them to Christ. Like, like uh, I don't know how many uh, churches I was a part of growing up where teens would go and study the Bible with their friends. Like, that wasn't a thing in my youth group. But it's a thing here. You college students going out and hitting the campus, man. How much good is, is happening because you guys are going out and sharing your faith and bringing people around? And seeing people overcome all the garbage that life has thrown at them. Like, we could go on. But guys, God is going to do something special here. And if you can just dream about a future where there's not just one church or two churches or three churches or four churches. Guys, what's it going to look like when we plant a dozen churches and they can all start working together? What's it going to look like as efforts are multiplied in the future? Guys, there's just, there's so much good that God wants to do here over time. And I just guarantee you, he's going to work through us. Um, We're going to have a special contribution on December the 4th. Uh, I want to put that out now. We're going to be talking more about that uh, as we move forward. I told you at the beginning, we got approved for our loan. Uh, we need to come up with 36000 bucks to put in the bank uh, just to have to basically qualify for the rest of the loan. So we're going to do a special contribution on December the 4th in order to raise that money. And we're going to be asking whoever would like to, just like it in the scripture, whoever's willing to give, please give, okay? Uh, I want to ask you, Uh, if you can, to give generously to that. If you believe in this ministry, if you believe in what we're doing here at the Crossing Church, just give generously. Our immediate need is we're going to add classroom spaces for the kids uh, so that we can expand our children's ministry. And we've got some other things we're going to add onto the facility here. It's going to put us in a spot where we can grow uh, as big as we need to. Probably, you know, over the next five or 10 years, we will not have facility needs. Um, As as the church grows here, we can move to multiple services. We can just do a lot with this facility. Uh, So it's going to meet our needs into the future. Uh, We believe it's a good investment. And so if you believe in what God is doing here through the Crossings Church, uh, be here on the 4th and give. Uh, And we're going to be talking, like I said, more about that as we go. Um, Just remember, guys, this is all about serving God. It's all about putting God first. It's all about seeing God work. And a community is only as healthy as the individuals that make it up. So if there is anything we can do today to help you, I would like to invite you to respond as we close out the lesson. Uh, There's a cardstock piece of paper in your bulletin. It's called a communication card. If you don't mind, pull that out. And man, if there's anything we can do to help you, if you need prayer. Uh, we would love to pray for you. If you need help with a a specific issue, uh, be it addiction or uh, some kind of something you're struggling with, it could be depression, sadness, whatever, if you need to talk with somebody, just indicate that on your communication card. If you're here today and you're not really sure if you're right with God, uh, indicate that on your communication card if you'd like to talk with someone. Um, If you're just investigating a relationship with the Lord, just... Mark on there you'd like a personal Bible study, and uh, we will get somebody together with you to chat, uh, or if there's anything else we can do to help you, just indicate that on the card, I'll let you read it. Uh, But we do invite you to respond, guys, because we can get in a routine of coming and listening to a sermon on Sunday and walking out and doing nothing with it, and that's not a good habit to get into, because you're actively having to harden your heart against God's Word, and that gets easier and easier. Every time you do it, it's easier the next time. And if you're not careful, you'll get to a point where God's word just doesn't even penetrate your heart, where you just don't even care. And that's not a good place to be because you will never grow so long as you stay there. So I invite you to respond. Just understand, guys, response is part of spiritual discipline. It's part of application. If you become a person that is able to listen to the word and walk away, again, guys, it's just going to get easier the next time and you will not grow. Um, Let me pray, and then uh, we'll fill that card out, and we'll close out. God, uh, thank you for bringing us together today. Um, Father, I want to pray for this upcoming special contribution on December the 4th, uh, that we will honor you in our giving uh, for this project. Uh, Father, I pray we be in your will, bringing you glory. Uh, I pray we keep your purposes in mind. I pray that we remember we are giving to you, uh, and not to a leadership or or a church, Just like the people weren't given to Moses, they were given to you. I pray we keep that in mind. I pray we see that as an act of worship. Father, if there's something we're struggling with today uh, that we need help with, I pray you'll give us the courage to ask for help. If we need to have a conversation, give us the courage to have that conversation. If we are seeking relationship with you, give us the courage to be bold and maybe ask for help along the way. Uh, Lord, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.